0: This message was presented at the GYC 2014 Conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Thank you guys for coming. I am just going to open us up in prayer and then we are going to get started. Okay. Father, I thank you so much For this day and for this opportunity, I praise you, Lord, for our value and that you are the one who defines it. I thank you that you are a firm foundation that we can press firmly into you and that you hold up. I ask, Lord, that you would allow uh, your Holy Spirit to speak your words of truth to people who are here, who specifically need to hear them. I ask that um, specifically what they need to hear uh, would be spoken. Thank you again. Please bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a um, famous picture. It is called the Pale Blue Dot. Is anyone familiar with that? Yes? I love this photograph because it is a photograph of the earth taken from millions of miles away. And you can see a satellite was passing by and took it from millions of miles away back in um, the 90s. And when you look, you see the Earth is literally a pale blue dot. It is a speck on a huge um, space of space just suspended in a beam of sunlight. And what's phenomenal about that dot is that Every single person who ever existed has existed on that speck of dust. You and I are literally specks of dust on a speck of dust. And yet the Lord of glory reaches down and says, You are valuable because I say so. We are the created brought forth in the act of creation. And we commemorate creation every Sabbath day. If Sabbath is a memorial to creation, it must also be a memorial to the fact that we were created, made in his image. Our value was established undeniably, unchangeably at creation, And it was fortified at the cross forevermore. Pale blue dot. Which you can't see, which goes to prove the point. How valuable you are. Because you live there. If creation established our value, and the Sabbath is a memorial to creation, then our celebration of the Sabbath day, it is a memorial to creation, It is a celebration of our value. Wrap your minds around that for a minute. Every single Sabbath day you get up, you celebrate creation. That's what it is. It's a memorial to the creator and the fact that you are created. You were created in his image. So every single Sabbath when you get up and celebrate the Sabbath day, you're celebrating creation. You're acknowledging that you were made in the image of your creator. You're memorializing your value. But the Sabbath isn't just a memorial to creation alone, it's a memorial to recreation, to redemption, to the recreative power of the one through whom and by whom we are made whole. The story of the cross does not stop with forgiveness, not forgiveness alone. The story of the cross is the story of redemption. In redeeming us, the Lord does not simply forgive, although that is gift beyond measure in itself. The Lord transforms. He recreates. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So why is this significant? Because the Sabbath a memorial to creation and to our redemption is a memorial to our value and to the sanctity of every human life made in the image of the Lord of glory. How can we declare that the Lord is worthy of our worship if we do not trust his sovereignty in establishing our value? How can we beckon the world to embrace its creator, and to yield to his redeeming love if we doubt his sovereignty in establishing our intrinsic worth? How can we believe that the eternal God would redeem and recreate broken, fallen humanity if we refuse to believe that he imparted to us a value that cannot be diminished or destroyed? In disregarding the sanctity of human life, the value of human life, we disregard the value established in the garden. We disregard the memorial of the Sabbath day. We disregard the sacrifice by which we are made whole. That is not the message of the Old Testament. It's not the message of the New Testament. And it's not the message that will ring through eternity. Rather, the message of the word made flesh is that he created all, he died for all, and when you honor his creation, you honor him. We bear an intrinsic value and an eternal significance as those made in the image of the Lord. These characteristics are so fundamental to who we are that they cannot be diminished, or destroyed. They literally define our very existence for us. We are valuable not based on what we achieve or become or possess. We are valuable because we are made in the image of the one who was and is and is to come. Romans 11.29 tells us, the calling and the election of the Lord are irrevocable. What does that mean? It means you were born with purpose. It means you were created with destiny. It means you possess a purpose and a destiny that you alone can fill. That is how valuable you are. That is how specifically and purposefully you were designed. The Lord of glory has equipped you, specifically you and you alone, with strengths, capabilities, gifts that enable you to fulfill your calling on the face of the earth. That is how valuable you are. Why is it that we doubt our worth? Why do we refuse to believe what is true? Please do not think that in rejecting this truth about yourself, that there is no consequence. If we are going to claim that we are not intrinsically valuable from our very beginning— we must be willing to accept the implications of that claim. If we are not intrinsically valuable from the very beginning, then there is nothing to instill intrinsic value in us at any point thereafter. If we are not intrinsically valuable from the very beginning, then any attainment of value is solely based on what we do or later become. If we are not intrinsically valuable from our very beginning, then any value later attributed to us must have been gained through some means other than being made in the image of the Lord of glory. To deny intrinsic value, fundamental worth, at the very beginning means it is to assert that any value that is later attributed to you must have been gained through some means of your own making. If your value is gained at any other point other than your beginning, it is not the creator who is giving you your value. It is yourself. Is that not the very antithesis of scripture? There remains an undeniable reality here. To deny the sanctity of life, the value of life, at the beginning is to deny the creator's sovereignty, power, and love. It is to rob an individual of their intrinsic value. Excuse me. To rob an individual of their intrinsic value is to deprive that person of the assurance that they were made in the image of their creator. And why is that? Because in stripping the individual of their intrinsic value... Their value has to be found somewhere else. It necessitates that the individual use some other means of proving their significance and their worth. The unequivocal truth that cannot be destroyed is that you are valuable solely because you are made in the image of the Lord. That and that alone gives you worth. That is a very humbling statement and yet it is in yielding in humility to that truth that we stand in true glory. We are either made in his image from the very beginning and we bear the full weight of that glory, or we're not. By rejecting the individual's intrinsic worth at the very beginning, we rob that person of their value for the remainder of their life. A person who lacks fundamental worth at their very beginning will have no fundamental worth at the end of life and will have no fundamental worth any day in between. The consequences of denying the sanctity of life are not allocated to abortion alone. They affect every area of life from its beginning to its end. Now, I've had the opportunity to work with an organization called Justice for All um, and just learn and study with them. Um, They're really a phenomenal, excuse me, a phenomenal organization committed to um, the value of all life. And they focus on reaching the 18 to 20, excuse me. They focus on reaching the 18 to 24-year-old demographic, uh, working primarily on college campuses. One of the women who is on staff there, her name is Joanna, um, she relayed a story recently of an experience she had had. She was speaking with a college student, um, and it struck to the very core of this idea of intrinsic value. Um, Now, because they operate primarily in secular environments, thank you. Now, because they operate primarily in secular environments, they begin with science and philosophy when discussing the value of the human being, but praying for the Lord to open up um, opportunities for them to discuss um, scripture as well. The story was she was speaking to this college student, and they got into a discussion about um, his value in comparison to grass or a tree, and... He was desperate to believe that he was valuable. And on some level, he believed he really was more valuable than a blade of grass or a tree in an open field. But he had no idea why. And so they go through this conversation. And eventually she brings up um, the Lord being made in his image. And, and the student says, well, but you're appealing to religion. I don't believe in religion. And she says, well, I am, but only to make this very important point. You, you do fundamentally believe, and I believe that you are more valuable than that tree. There has to be a reason why. And the kid stumbled around for a little while and finally said, I've got to go to class. You're making me think too hard. And, and she was just left reflecting on the conversation. I think there are literally thousands upon thousands, if not millions, of people in this exact same situation, they are desperate to believe that they actually are valuable. And somewhere, fundamentally, they believe, I am valuable, I have worth, or at least I desperately want to, but they have no idea why. How has this happened? It's happened because we have stripped away the very foundation on which we once stood. When we assert that value is obtained through any means apart from being made in the image of the Lord alone, we strip away the very foundation on which our true and eternal significance is built. Why was this student desperate to believe he was valuable and yet didn't know why? Because he is operating within a system that has rejected the image of the Lord. He is operating within a system where value is based on what he achieves, possesses, and accomplishes. He is operating within a system where value can be gained and thus value can be lost and it's gained or lost based on an arbitrary standard rather than the firm foundation and immovable standard of being made in the image of the Lord of glory. For years, I myself had no grasp on my own value as defined by the Lord. As some of you might know if you um, attended sessions yesterday, I myself was rescued from abortion. My mother, when she became pregnant with me, was in an extremely abusive marriage, and her circumstances were and could be quite frightening. She did not want to bring a child into a situation like that, and so she had planned to save money to move back to California. She was in Georgia at that time and she was going to have an abortion there in California back in 1981 when abortions were free, and she was going to move on with her life. Through the intervention of those who believed not only in my value, but also in my mother's value, my mother decided to choose life. My life was spared. However, our circumstances did not change. And as I grew up, life could at times be very frightening. I grew angry, I grew resentful, and ingratitude took root in my heart and life. I could not see the faithfulness of the Lord in preserving me, in providing for me, in protecting me from so much. And though I loved my father tremendously, I hated him for the life I had lived as a child. It was in this mindset that I began to date and that I began to open myself to sexual intimacy. I could not see past my anger. I could not see past my resentment. I believed that the Lord owed me. In my mind, how dare he allow me to experience the life I had. I believed that he was unjust unfair, unloving, unkind. And it was through that lens that I lived and operated and chose. I had no grasp of my true value, and I was blinded by my own anger. It makes for a terrible combination. If we make choices out of anger, out of ingratitude, out of resentment towards another. We will make choices that defraud ourselves, that defraud those around us, that lead to the most unspeakable regret. There are approximately 1.2 million abortions performed in this country every single year. And that's roughly 55 million since it was legalized in 1973 in total. The majority of abortions take place between the age of 18 and 24, that demographic, the demographic that in part GYC seeks to reach. Why are we having sex in this way, that it leads to 1.2 million abortions every year? Why are we defrauding ourselves in this way, it's not just because sex or sexual intimacy is pleasurable. What are we looking for? And in our search for meaning, for significance, for fulfillment, why are we settling? I encourage you, I plead with you, don't choose through a faulty lens. Your enemy exists to steal and kill and destroy. And he is constantly presenting you with a counterfeit. We're encouraged as a culture to settle for the counterfeit. I um, don't know how many of you remember the movie Titanic. Does anyone in here remember Titanic? Did anyone go watch it? Well, I remember Titanic. And a short while ago, um, I watched uh, parts of this film. Again, had not seen it since, um, I guess, the mid-'90s when it came out. And it was, you know, Titanic. It's a very tragic story. But in this movie, there is a high-class girl um, who is has lots of money and wealth, but she is very um, repressed. And she's engaged to a man who um, uh, she doesn't truly love and doesn't truly want to marry. She meets a penniless man who is a free spirit. And through this three-hour movie, he walks alongside her on her journey of liberation and freedom, because she ends up rejecting the fiance, and she falls in love with the penniless free spirit, and they want to live happily ever after. How does she come to express her liberation in this movie? Well, she poses nude for a pencil sketch. She leaves the sketch behind for her fiancé to find. And then she proceeds to have sex with a man in the back of a vehicle on the ship. We, as the audience, are supposed to applaud her actions because she has liberated herself. It is a theme that is repeated over and over and over again for us as a culture. For men, liberation is found in achievement, being courageous, overcoming fear, claiming victory. For women, liberation is found through sex, through sexual conquest, through illicit relationships. Ladies and gentlemen, sex does not equal liberation, period, And outside the parameters established by the Lord, it does not bring joy, peace, contentment, or assurance. It leaves you empty. It leaves you grasping. It leaves you longing for real significance. I implore you, don't settle for the counterfeit.
1: When we talked about what we wanted to cover today, and sexual intimacy came up, I wrote these words. Sexual intimacy is a precious gift, a precious gift from God, given to one man and one woman to share, a man and a wife. It provides warmth and joy, pleasure and closeness, courage and comfort that only these two share. It's their reprieve from the stresses in the world. Their own little private escape just for them. Men, you need to guard it and protect it. Women, you need to guard it and protect it. Sexual intimacy is more than just the act of sex. It's that and more. The whole package. My husband, has always described the word intimacy like this. Into me, you see. Into me, you see. You see me for just what I am. I am making myself completely vulnerable to you. I'm sharing with you my heart. You know me better than anyone else. And with sexual intimacy, Now you know my body and my heart. This is the way God wanted it to be with us. This way, we are not only lovers, but best friends, helpmates for each other, protectors of each other, committed to each other. When we take the word intimacy out of it, it just becomes sex. God didn't intend for sex to be just sex. We cheat ourselves when we settle for just sex. The devil would like nothing more than to see us do that. And being the deceiver and the destroyer that he is, he has blanketed the world with a sexual perversion and deception. But the sex the world promotes is an empty shell. There's no "into me, you see, or intimacy. It's all about, let's see what we can feel, or give me what I want. Because it is a perversion of the truth, it's not going to provide the the blessing from heaven that sexual intimacy was meant to provide. Instead, it will leave us empty, depressed, ashamed, lonely, or sad. The tragic thing is about this (coughs) If we don't find it in one place, we'll go somewhere else, or another, or another. The devil will never be able to provide what the Lord intended us to have. His is a cheap imitation set out to destroy. If he doesn't destroy us in one way, he'll find another. He knows that we are objects of God's love, and he hates us. He hates everything good. He took that gift of sexual intimacy and perverted it. And then, if a child is conceived, another incredible gift God has intended for one man and one woman, He has managed to completely deceive society into believing it's okay to destroy it. Through sexual intimacy and having children, we are able to understand just a little more about our Heavenly Father, His love for us his desires for us, and his protective care for us. But blinded by demanding to use our own wisdom, we insist on continuing to do it on our way. Now, the devil thinks he has created a perfect storm. A perfect storm to destroy relationships, marriage, and family. The very gift God had given man, his woman, he has exploited. Women have been oppressed and sexually assaulted. A few seminars back to talk to you about the history of women and how the tragedy of them being um, hysterical due to sexual trauma and society not even acknowledging it, totally discrediting the woman. Saying it's just her fragile nature. And through history, another thing that we hear has um, been that men uh, thought of women as being pregnant, barefoot, and in the kitchen. And was that right? No, it wasn't right. But women responded with anger. And out of that came rebellion. Was that right? No. But you see, this is the devil's perversion. This is the devil's perfect storm to destroy. So women came up with the feminist movement. They wanted to control their own destiny, certainly not give confidence in a creator. That was the devil's plan. They wanted to do with their bodies what they wanted. They wanted, to. it's my body, I can do what I want with it. Well, unfortunately, abortion has become the issue that both sides have played. Men will insist that their women have an abortion or they'll leave. I won't love you anymore if you put me through this. Women have abortions regardless of their men's feelings. They'll have them secretly without them knowing or they'll flaunt it. Punish their husband in that way. Laws have passed keeping men from even having a say. And so, obviously, there's anger in both camps. A friend of mine told me of an experience of theirs where their wife was using abortion as a contraception. It tore him up. He lost his voice. Of course, then we hear the stories of women who said, he said he would leave me if I didn't have an abortion. And I didn't have anywhere else to go. I needed him. It's a very real situation. So you see how the devil has just totally messed with our minds, given us false solutions to a problem, and all of it just came down to sex. The very beautiful God-given gift. So yes, as individuals and as a church, we need to reexamine this. We need to educate ourselves. We need not to be afraid to speak out about it. and We need not be afraid to speak about an unintended pregnancy. Because of the secrecy and the privacy, yes indeed, many young men and women do seek out an abortion clinic. And unfortunately, many times it's just because they didn't want it exposed. And then the grief and the pain and the suffering the animosity amongst themselves, the unspoken. When I had my first abortion, my husband was there for me, my husband-to-be. We weren't married yet. He loved me very much. He paid for the abortion. He flew to Reno where I was. He went to the clinic with me. His way of supporting me was to support me in my decision. Later on, I resented him for that. I had terrible anger towards my husband. It's like, why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you protect me? Now, sure, that can only go so far. Because, see, where he was at, he was only doing what he thought was best. But can you see the strife? When a man says, I will love you if... What kind of value is he placing on her? And then she's going to have the, have the added trauma of the abortion, the, what she's done. I love what Antoinette talks when she talks about intrinsic value because I really, really believe that's at the root of all this. When we realize our intrinsic value and who we are, You guys, I met Antoinette at the GYC in 2011. And up until that time, I had not dealt fully with my abortion. But when I went to her booth, and I had avoided pro-life people. And if you'll hear my story, you'll know why. But when I saw the joy in her face, and I went by her booth, and trust me, I avoided abortion people, all of it. There was such peace and redemption and joy, it compelled me to go and see her. I wanted what she had. We need that very same thing in our church. We've missed something. We need to go back to who we are and the value we've been given from the beginning. It's not about making an A on the test. I love to study prophecy. I love our church history. I love my church. I believe we were anointed, and we've been given a very high calling. But it's not all about making an A on the test, because when we make an A on the test, then we're looking at ourselves for our value. It's who we are in Jesus, what God meant us to be from the very beginning. And I believe realizing that will revolutionize our church's stand on abortion and how we support the young people in our church who do find themselves pregnant and afraid or embarrassed. When I found myself pregnant, I was too embarrassed, embarrassed to go to anybody in my church. I knew how not to get pregnant and I'd gotten pregnant. When the x-ray tech asked me, is there any chance you could be pregnant? I said, no, I was embarrassed later that I had said that because yes, indeed, there was a chance I could have been pregnant. Shame, shame, shame. My value, if we depend on ourselves to give ourselves our value, we're going to blow it. We're going to look pretty miserable pretty fast because we're going to look at our failures. And we have an accuser of the brethren sitting on our shoulder reminding us of everything we've done wrong. And that's what we're going to base our value on. So we need to go back to our Redeemer, our Creator, and our Savior and realize Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Okay. <clears throat> I'll drink your
0: water. Um, I wanted to, thank you, Dan. I wanted to follow up just on her remarks on the role of men. It's really remarkable. I'm pleased that we have men in our audience today. Uh, it's really remarkable when you're talking about the issue of abortion. I really appreciated what Diane shared there. Um, the number of people who will assert that abortion is simply a woman's issue. That abortion only pertains to women, that abortion only affects women, that women are the only people who are grappling with the abortion problem. Folks, the idea that abortion is merely a woman's issue is a complete falsehood. Abortion is not just a woman's issue. Far from it. For every woman who has had an abortion, there is a man, there is a father of that child. Statistically, over one-third of women will have had an abortion. These are statistics from secular institutions that perform abortions. Over one-third of women will, will have had an abortion by the time she reaches age 45. Keep in mind, the majority of abortions are performed between 18 and 24, so it doesn't mean she's 44 years old and suddenly has an abortion. She will likely have had that abortion one or two decades prior, but statistically... Over a third of women will have had an abortion by the time she reaches age 45. That statistic is staggering, and it applies to women both inside and outside of the church. But what else does that statistic tell us? Well, for argument's sake, let's say there are roughly the same number of men and women in the United States. One-third of women will have had an abortion by the time she reaches age 45. That also means one-third of men will have fathered a child who was aborted. Abortion is not just a woman's issue. The responsibility and culpability for the abortive act, it lies at the door of both women and men. The spiritual repercussions of abortion don't rest with women alone. Numbers upon numbers of men, our men, have stood aside or stood silent or pressured while daughters, sisters, wives, girlfriends endured their abortions alone. The message of value, of redemption, of forgiveness, of the need to be forgiven that so desperately needs to be heard must be sent out to women and to men alike. I know that women's ordination has been a pretty hot topic recently, and we're not here to make any statement about women's ordination, but what we would say is that if it is our position as a church that men are the head of the household and men are the head of the church, then doesn't that mean that our men have a heightened responsibility to speak about this issue? to defend and protect the weakest and most vulnerable among us, which includes mother and child. We have an opportunity to embrace our calling as individuals and as a church to be conduits of redemptive grace that helps set the captive free. The question is, yet again, will we do it? Will we embrace the truth, as Diane so beautifully mentioned, about our intrinsic value that takes us back to why we really matter. Mm -hmm. Because seeing ourselves through that lens better enables us to lead the world that is broken and dying to the cross. Now, I wanted to do a little Q&A with you if we have a couple minutes. Yeah, we do. I know you had mentioned... Sorry. Yes, Um, You mentioned uh again your abortion experience mm-hmm. now how did that affect intimacy in your life
1: oh it had a profound impact you know the very thing that we both anticipated and my husband wanted and I would have wanted but it destroyed it yeah it destroyed it my um I couldn't understand why he would want something that had destroyed my life. My paradigm at that time was having sex, pregnant, abortion, and loss of identity, loss of self-value. So why would intimacy be a part of my world
0: at that point? And so the idea that um, you have the abortion and it just removes the problem, it actually complicated things quite tremendously.
1: Oh, absolutely, because I think this is what society wants to tell us, that um, abortion is a solution to a problem. And abortion is not a solution to the problem. When you abort, it's not like you were never pregnant. You know, you abort that pregnancy, and it's not like that pregnancy ceased to exist from your little personal history. It's very much still a part of who you are, except now you have the trauma of knowing Morally, women, even if you don't get it, there's something in here about a woman destroying her baby. It has an impact. And, um, and by making that impact on that person, and they don't know how to deal with it because usually it's huge, frightful emotions, so they hold it in. They don't talk. The father of the child may be in complete denial. They have so many of the same emotions that a woman... Has. It's just that connecting, they don't connect, not unless someone is there to help them. It is so hard for them to connect because they both have buried this refuse. Now The woman will resent the husband so many times. I cannot even begin. In fact, a very good friend of mine who's post-abortive, he um, has had a very traumatic story, heartbreaking. And he came to me, and he and his wife divorced. I think I told you on one of the previous, it's like one study, 77% of um, couples, married or not, they don't make it after an abortion. And I read somewhere else that only 10% of married couples make it after an abortion. So, I mean, that kind of speaks for itself right here. But after he read my story, he goes, Diane, I understand my ex-wife so much better now. Thank you. And they had already, you know, divorced. And and she had apologized to him, he had apologized to her, but it was, you know, dust in the wind. But he had a little bit more insight. And so I thought, how awesome would that be if for couples who had gone through it, who were still trying to work it out, could go somewhere and help to understand why my wife, one minute, is crying and a mess, and the other minute, a monster tyrant wanting to claw my eyeballs out you know just having an understanding of what is going on and with that understanding will come education and will come to prevention which is what we want It's time yeah listen you guys i appreciate you coming out i appreciate audioverse recording this that's awesome if y'all will bow your heads we're going to close Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your long arm. Thank you for staying committed to us, even though we make a mess of things so many times. Lord, thank you for giving us our value at the very beginning, and it's not something we have to earn. Lord, I just pray that we will learn to look to you for our value and not our failures and achievements, and that, Lord, this will revolutionize our perception as far as the unborn and post-abortive. And we'll have a mercy and a compassion for people that we have not experienced before. Lord, I don't want these meetings to end without having that anointing on us. Lord, we thank you so much for this privilege and we love you so very much. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in phoenix arizona gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh day adventures church seeks to inspire young people to be bible-based christ-centered and soul-winning christians to download or purchase other resources like this visit us online at www.gycweb.org